Before we get to the show, I just want to share with you that last week we reached 20,000 downloads. For a show only in its 34th episode, this is evidence to me that people are interested in hearing a different perspective of war. Many of us are done with the gore and false glory of it. War is hell, and we should do everything in our power to stay out of it. To help the show grow, all I ask of you is to please take a moment to go to whichever app you're listening on, click subscribe, drop us a five-star rating, or even write a review. I think these are important conversations, and if you know someone who might benefit from hearing them, please send it to them directly, or simply share it with your followers on social media. And now, let's get to the interview. My guests today are Tom and Jan Satterley. Tom is a highly decorated combat veteran, having served in the US Army for 25 years, the last 20 in Delta Force. Tom retired as the unit's command sergeant major, or one of its most senior soldiers. During his time, he has been involved in and led some of the US most important military campaigns. He fought in Mogadishu and was portrayed in the Oscar-winning film Black Hawk Down, which was the longest sustained firefight of US forces since Vietnam. He has deployed countless times and led hundreds of missions, including the capture of Saddam Hussein. He's the recipient of numerous medals, including a silver star, four bronze stars, one of which was for valorous acts. Beyond Tom's invaluable service in uniform, he continues to fight and win his own silent war. Having come within seconds of taking his own life and becoming a veteran suicide statistic, today, Tom is on his most important mission to date with his wife and partner, Jen. Together, they are co-founders and co-CEOs of the All Secure Foundation, which I'll mention more about in a second. Tom also authored a best-selling book titled All Secure, a special operations soldier's fight to survive on the battlefields and the home front. Jan was an award-winning filmmaker and photographer for 15 years, spending the last three as director of film and photography at an elite special operations training company fully embedded with Navy SEALs, Green Berets and Army Rangers in large-scale realistic training missions. During her time with Special Operations Warriors, Jen began to see a pattern. As it turns out, many were dealing with complex post-traumatic stress. This realization motivated her to help find them, to help them find a way to constructively deal with post-traumatic stress and its symptoms, which sadly includes isolation, anxiety, severe depression, anger issues, and a long list of medical challenges. Jen made it her mission to not only help service members, but also their families, often suffer from secondary PTS. As a result, Jan stepped away from the camera and became a certified health and wellness coach. She also recently published a book titled Arsenal of Hope, Tactics for Taking on PTSD Together. Alongside with Tom, she co-founded and co-CEOs the All Secure Foundation, a non-profit that helps special operations warriors and their families reconnect and heal on the home front. All Secure has been recognized as a top-rated non-profit by great nonprofits four years in a row and has grown to serve thousands of combat families. Tom and Jan, thank you both for uh, joining me on the Voices of War. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks Appreciate us. you having us. What an amazing journey you guys have had. And just reading your bio, uh, whilst uh, lengthy, I must admit, I <laughs> enjoy it because the stories that you guys have lived are just absolutely amazing and how you came together uh, to create a wonderful project. Uh, congratulations. 
Thank, Thank you. you. It seems like it's lasted longer than my military career. Yeah. <laughs> in a short time. It seems we've compressed 25 years in the same amount of eight, eight years. Yeah. Well, it was meant to be, right? That's uh, <laughs> that's what maybe we can launch off with uh, and, and we'll obviously come to the all secure. Uh, but I'm really keen to hear kind of both your journeys in parallel, perhaps. Uh, maybe starting with you, Tom, you know, what was it about the military that drew you in in the first place? And then with you, Jane, as well, what drew you to the military and how did you, you know, how did your paths ultimately cross? I wish I had a sexy story of my <laughs> family and the lineage and, you know, and support and freedom for America. But it was a friend of mine joined the military because he had to. Um, he came back after basic and AIT and was telling me how great it was one day on a, on a, on a road trip up to Indianapolis to see a John Cougar concert. And in that short time, I thought, man, I can get out of this small town. I mean, I didn't even desire to get out really. I just knew where I was and I hadn't, I'd never gone anywhere. I mean, I never left that town. And so it was, it was an opportunity for me to get out of town, get some money for college, you know, and stop blowing my parents' money and get out in four years. And during the first three years, I just met some people, did some different schools that made me think, you know, conventional forces was not for me. So I was going to get out in four years and uh, run. And I went to a couple schools in Germany, um, French Commando School and German Ranger School. And I thought, wow, this is different. This is unique. And this is testing me more. So kind of adopted a friend of mine's dream um, of becoming a Green Beret. And I stole that idea from him and, and took it. And Hold on, hold on, wait, 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 what do you mean? <laughs> that, that, that sounds way too interesting to just uh, gloss over. <laughs> That's a really good story, too, because a friend of mine in Germany, um, together, we were combat engineers, and he had a picture of his father holding him as a baby, wearing his father's green beret. Right. Like, Man, what is that? He goes, oh, Special Forces, John Wayne, blah, blah, blah. I go, that is what I want to do. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, me too, I'm going to be a green beret like my dad. And, and sadly, he didn't make that. Um, he didn't, he didn't attain that. And I did, and then moved on and went to the unit. But then I found out just last year, cause we're still friends as I was talking to him, that his father was never a green beret. He was lying the whole time. Oh, wow. So I'm oh. like, I, I had stolen oh. valor. Got me going, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's double stolen valor. Man. That's yeah. It, I took it off of that, stole it and, and double negative and made it work out for well, me. That's so. one. I mean, I, I, I feel terrible for you because I mean, that would have hurt that realization for him would have hurt, but, yeah. uh, I guess it worked out. Yeah, uh, it did hurt him pretty bad. I mean, any life from your father for that long, but man, that was a, a dream of his that, mm. you know, shattered. Sure. Yeah, dissipated. And what about you, Jane? I mean, it's a, how did you find yourself uh, around uniforms? Well, it was definitely not my life path. I think I was probably 35 when I met Tom and started working in special operations. And honestly, I was doing like sports marketing, fashion, so I was in the commercial world and was mm. asked to come and film and really said no the first couple of times because I didn't know anything about special operations. I'm like, there's no way I belong in this community. Um, not that I belonged with the Iron Man community, but that's who I was working <laughs> at the time. I don't know why I thought that was uh, easier. But really, um, kind of after the first iteration, after the first time I kind of met the guys and worked alongside of them, I was totally hooked. Mm. I couldn't believe I got to see what I saw and was doing what I was doing, knowing it was really unique situation I was in. So it was not a fully formed plan. I just kind of jumped. Yeah. And and you were filming part of their training exercises, right? Is that, I did. Is that was that so, the kind of job? 
Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, as soon as like, for instance, it was a Navy SEAL team from the time they landed, I was there with my camera gear on the landing strip and I would film them everything from loading in, setting up their talks and, and their command centrals to mission planning, to do executing the uh, the realistic military training exercise, the big kind of hurrah mm. at the end. So I was with them sometimes for a week to three or four weeks. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. And I heard <laughs> on one of what's that? She brought the she brought the idea of if I video everything, you can't deny it. And it's the best way. You got guys coming in going left instead of right. And I went right. And you're like, really? Did you now? Here's the video. Yeah. And we present in the video of here's how you unload your gear. Here's how you plan. Here's how you load out to deploy on the mission. Here's how the mission went down. She was always there videoing and everybody else had cameras and she would compile it all later and remove oh, all the wow. customers and send it to the client. Some of the customers. Some of the customers <laughs> and send it to the client take to too long. watch with you know, editing marks, like, here's where we screw this up. We would watch the videos and go, here's where you mess this up. Here's where you mess this up. And when they deny it, like here, hour one, you know, go section this, mm. the video, and here's what you did. And so they, they grew exponentially better because wow. of it. Wow. So that's a, okay. That's n- now I understand how it was actually used. So it was a, a part of kind of an after action review for uh, exactly. the unit supported. Right. Okay. They, they didn't like them all the time, but uh, they were real and honest and it, and it made them better for it. Yeah, and they got she, she, she went from getting yelled at to you're not supposed to be in here and you can't video that and delete all that to why are you paying me to be here to delete all my videos that I take of you to give to you? And they're like, huh? Oh, yeah, okay, welcome. And then they started, <laughs> they really appreciated it after that. Somewhat appreciated it, yeah. We're Commanded. S- we're secret. How'd you get in here? I was like, the guys? if she's yeah. snuck around, you're not that secret. So oh, God. she's yeah. already here, little video. Well, you guys have the same issues then as we do. That's uh, that's interesting. It's uh, I, I did have have a chuckle in preparation. I listened to a couple of your podcasts, and, and I think you made it the uh, – uh, a faux pas, a blunder on your first uh, entry. Is that right, Jane? You referred to Delta to a... Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> when I called him right... an ACL? That one? <laughs> yeah. I did a lot of blunders. I mean, I could have a book of blunders for sure. Yeah. I mean, totally outside of my element. They walked me to meet Tom. Actually, two of the guys that were um, in the Battle of Mogadishu, they were walking me, and a Delta guy was walking me down the hallway, and he said, have you seen Black Hawk Down? And I'm like, Oh my God. The place <laughs> I used to work at the guys there, you know, 2001, it was on all the time, but no, I don't think I've actually like sat down. He's like, what? He's like, you're about ready to meet two of the guys from that. I'm like, Oh, they're Navy seals. And he's like, <laughs> or like, oh, isn't that God. the same thing? He's like, happens Whoa. all the time, especially yeah. with the hair. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Nice little jab. <laughs> I got a book and the hair now. So it's, yeah. it's, it's growing. I hear it all the time. Now. Ticking the boxes one at a time. That's, that, that's incredible. I need a um, movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. That's that's next, right? That, that'll be next. Well, you, well, although you already have a movie, but you know, since, you, since you've mentioned uh, Black Hawk Down, Jen, um, and I know it's something you've been asked to death uh, about, Tom. But I think my audience uh, in Australia uh, and, and around the world will be keen to hear from somebody who's actually been on the ground uh, and lived through Black Hawk Down. What are some of the moments of that mission that stand out for you? When you think back to, was it 93? Yeah. What pops up? Wow. You know, we did five missions before 3 October that were what combat 
you, you, everybody thinks combat is civilians alike, you know, minus the movie stuff and the grandiose battle scenes. But it was just the good guys walk away and we high five and tell stories about it later. So that was what I thought. You know, I, I got my fill of combat, but 3 October was sticks out or chunks of the day. Like if mm. I sat here, just spit it out right now, I could spit out chunks of that day and night that I probably couldn't lay down on a timeline other than on infill, you know. Before and Phil thinking, I don't need my nods. <laughs> you know, mm. I'm gonna light my load and take one bottle of water because we'll be back in an hour for lunch. They're cooking, you know, they were cooking dinner actually when we took off. So it was like, all right, we'll be back and have dinner. I don't need this and I don't need that. And I put on a ProTech plastic helmet and like, you know, I had sewn my Kevlar to as smallest little chunk as I could, <laughs> you know, just enough to hold gear so I could move faster. And then I think I realized you cannot run a bullet that day. Um, you know, on Enfield was we were taking fire immediately. I rem- that was different immediately taken fire rpgs right near our helicopter and i thought wow we're not even here yet hmm. and this is bad um and it was in the middle of the day i remember number two um infield way outside the perimeter so now i'm outside all the good guys with bad guys in the middle not good and we had to take down a house just to get off the street and i remember this huge huge man in this house in my another teammates trying to throw him on the ground. You don't know what he's going to do yet. Just trying to throw him on the ground, but I'm on the other side of him because I'd come in and entered the room a different way. And he's holding a tiny baby, this tiniest of babies I've ever seen. And my friend doesn't see that. Mm. He just thinks he's hiding something. He's trying to get him to the ground. I'm, I'm trying to ca- get this baby from him. That's, that's my mission is to get this baby. I finally get this little baby out of his hands and my friend gets him to the ground, which he relents and lets him throw him to the ground. because He's a big man. And um, you know, cuffed him and i gave the baby to one of the women in the house i thought we need to get out of here you know and that house starts taking fire mm-hmm. and that was just some family not even involved so we had to move out of that house under fire move into the target building and pick up 12 detainees and start putting them in the five-ton trucks and then that's when the five-ton i remember my next major thing was the five-ton got hit with an rpg and i'm like okay this is really different there's lots of gunfire um five-ton got blown up and then the helicopter overhead, I heard an RPG whoosh. I looked up and I saw it get hit and it just started to fly erratically and, and then start to auto-rotate. And I thought, man, this is not good. And we were still making jokes about making it back for dinner. And, you know, because joking was just my way of, of dealing with stress. And uh, I knew then, I knew then that it changed. And then the movement east and north to the crash site was where my life completely changed, was thousands of people on streets, both sides of you, mm. you know, following along with you and, and paralleling you as you go. And I'm thinking, we got to get ahead of this. Or we're all going to die. And they just kept shooting at us and shooting at us. And when that first individual uh, on our team, I saw got shot. Um, I they didn't see him get shot. I looked at him across the street, looked back, was shooting at somebody that he was shooting at. When I looked back, two people were dragging him away. And I thought, Oh, Earl got injured. You know, I didn't know Earl got shot right in the head and was instantly killed. Um, and that would change the fact that we don't wear plastic helmets anymore. Right. Right. You know, the very next day when they shipped in helmets from England. <laughs> um, but that night, the fear kept building. I mean, I had fear. I mean, anybody's lying to you if they don't tell you they're afraid to get shot at for sure. But the fear was building because of um, it was changing from going from normal combat to Americans. Let us out. We're here to help you. And we're, we're the good guys. And to we're surrounded and they're trying to kill us all. And for 18 hours, I knew that this town was trying to kill us. And we were running out of ammo. We ran out of ammo. Um, 
didn't have water for sure. Didn't have night vision, didn't have the technology to give us the advantage. And it was terrifying. And asking my team leader at one point, you know, you'd hear the convoy trying to make it to us. You could tell 50 cal fire and you could hear the mini, you know, the mini guns and little birds firing. And, and you knew that they, they weren't getting closer. Mm. And I asked him at some point, I don't know, midnight, two in the morning. I don't know. Um, I said, Hey, are they going to make it? <laughs> you know, insert mm. motivational speech right now. Yeah. That's what I need right now. He, and he's just kind of, I don't know. And he turned and, and took off. And I was like, well, shit. All right. All right. He doesn't know. So I literally took out my knife and I thought, that's it. This is it. I'm going to do as much damage and help as many of my friends as I can before I get killed. And I knew I was going to be killed. I knew I wasn't going to make it. I mean, I knew, I knew I wasn't going to make it home. And I think that's when my journey began. Mm. The fact that I gave up on life made it easy that night. It made that night, that one night easy. I've never really considered that before until right now, that giving up on life made that one night easy, but it made the rest of my life hell. You know, and then getting out the next morning, I remember when the 10th Mountain showed up and two Pakistani vehicles showed up. We used it to pull the, the helicopter up a little bit to get some bodies out from underneath, and we threw the bodies on top and all the wounded in the vehicles Um and then opened the door and they literally pulled the door shut. There was no more room to get in. And it was like, hey, we're going to walk alongside these vehicles because there's no more room. And we're going to go back the mile to where the other vehicles are. Then we'll get in and then we'll go home. I thought a whole nother mile out in the street in the morning time. Um, and as soon as the first shot fired, those vehicles took off. <laughs> they just took off and left us in the street. So it was like run the Mogadishu mile under fire with no ammo until we finally made it to where the tanks were lined up and the, and the Malaysian and the Pakistani vehicles were lined up all along the street and the tank was firing in the street and everybody was shooting. I'm like, Oh my God, this must be like world war II was, was like, you know, is mm. tanks and, and, and APCs launching and cannons and, and RPGs into the city. I was like, man, who's shooting at us? You know I mean? Who's it's hard to tell who's shooting at you anymore. And then fighting our way back and our two vehicles got lost from the rest of the convoy that went the short distance to the stadium. We went all the way back around back in the back gate of the airport where we left from um, under fire most of the way. And I had no idea until maybe two years ago, I ended up linking up with a 10th mountain guy. I, I posted a picture online and somebody's like, that's my vehicle. We were driving that vehicle that day. I go, oh my God, you rescued Delta force. Thanks, man. He said, we were lost that day. And I, cause I had no idea about why we went there and everybody else went somewhere else. And I thought they were all dead. And, and missing. And there was only one guy from my team with me and um, finally found out that they just got lost and, and just went somewhere. They found their way back to get off the streets. And I was like, well, I'm glad we finally figured that one out. But that was an 18 hours um, sustained firefight, like the longest since Vietnam. So and you didn't know it at the time. At the time, you just wanted to make it home. Mm. And, uh, you know, the last moment I remember was was when we came in the back gate and drove around the airfield and came up by our our hangar, the medical tent was across from our hangar. And as I rolled up, I saw probably 12 bodies covered up, laying on the street, just lined up. And I, we wore different boots, right? We wore black Adidas, you know, assault boots at the time. Rangers wore different boots. And uh, I could see that some of those boots were ours and there was a lot of them. And and then I saw like an RPG sticking out of somebody's rib cage and sandbags stacked around it in case it blew up because somebody got shot with an RPG so close, basically was harpooned to death. And I and turning the corner and, I, and the smell of bleach 
the morning heat on a tarmac and sand where they were trying to clean the vehicles out of all the blood and then send it back out and then more bleach. And, and I remember that smell. And if I smell bleach or the heat of a morning, it takes me right back to that day every single time. Um, that is, I mean, not a nutshell, but that's my night and a wrap up of events throughout that night with chaos intermingled in between and so much more that I couldn't even capture, you know, you'd have to talk to each individual there to get the entire story of what each person sees in a combat zone. I mean, there are so many points there that I, that I'd like to pick up on, but maybe I'll first go to Jane. What do you hear when you hear that story? What goes through your mind? God, I, you know, I watched Black Hawk Down after we met, um, really kind of before we started talking, um, after I met him and had to kind of eat crow after my embarrassing hallway journey with another unit member, I thought I better go back and watch this. <laughs> and I, I remember saying out loud, how does anybody come back from this? Okay. How did any of these guys come back? All right. And then, you know, over the next eight years, I learned that nobody comes back from something like that. Okay. And so I don't know to hear Tom talk about it now is is so different than even eight years ago when we met. And, you know, the first time I asked him about Somalia, I, I, you know, basically asked permission. Like, is it okay if I ask you questions about this? I, I don't know. Is that a faux pas or I don't want to glorify it or, or horrify you. And Tom was like, Oh, I don't care. You know, whatever. You can ask me whatever you want. And I think the second question I asked was something about Gary Gordon and, uh, and Randy Shugart, and he just lost it. You know, we were sitting outside kind of tucked away in a cafe and I thought, oh my God, what did I just do? You know, we had just started dating and he couldn't get through the story, uh, the memories of it for a year or two, you know, without breaking down. So to hear Tom talk about it now, what I hear is almost a piece, a, um, that he's processed it, uh, maybe not fully, but in a way that is much more significant than eight years ago. And I don't know, I hear a lot of healing in it, mm -hmm. a lot of pain, and he always has these little light bulb moments like he just had with you. You mm -hmm. know, every time he retells that story or thinks of a certain point, it's, I never thought of it that way. I think it comes from, you know, the healing work he's done, especially the last eight years is that things kind of that fog from mm. the trauma gets lifted a little bit and little, little bit more details are, are resurfacing for him. And, you know, it's heartbreaking and it's also heartwarming at the same time to see yeah. the pain, but to see the healing as well. The, the, and, and, it's kind of strange you're talking about you, Tom. You're right there. <laughs> I can hear you. When I was listening, I mean, I, I, the, the emotion is raw and there and real. But to me, it was almost like you're rereading a chapter of a book. You know, it was a, uh, that's what it sounded like. And, and, and why I loved when you kind of said, Oh, that's the first time I said that. It's almost like when you reread a really powerful book, you, read something new every time and that's that's what that's what i got because i i know you've been asked this so many times you've kind of been asked to to replay the story in your mind so many times but it was amazing that the emotion is still there it's real uh, 
but but how do you how, what is your connection to that story now i mean is it is it is it painful is it you know how, what, what are the because i could see the emotion the emotion is absolutely real but i just wonder how where you are with it if i allow myself to sit in it depending on my mood it can really hit me hard mm. it can if i let it I've said it so many times that I almost say it, like you said, reading out of a book. I'm here, I'm, and it's cathartic, but I'm brushing over it to not go deep because I, if I go deep, I can't talk. Um, mm-hmm. And so, podcast is for talking. And, you know, <laughs> you don't, you don't hear me crying. Um, it's very emotional. It, I don't think it will ever go away, those feelings. Um, I still hide from certain things. We just went back to have the silver stars pinned on um, the upgrades after 28 years. You got an upgrade. I was like, ah, okay, thanks. Um, I still have, I find myself avoiding certain friends of mine, um, avoiding, hey, I'm having a party tonight. I'm, uh, let's just go hang out. hang out with her. I stay more quiet now. I don't want the war story stuff. Um, we do it all the time and we do it to heal people, but. I don't want to live in it. And mm. it, 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 it's, it rips in my soul to literally go back and be in that day. Mm. And when I tell it, I can brush over it. I'm not in that day, but when I dive deep, I go to that day. I go to those feelings um, and they can get a hold of me. And uh, that's a fight. I mean, not that I haven't, like Jen said, I put in a lot of work after a lot of years of not doing any work and ruining a lot of lives, including my own. I uh, finally started putting in the work and it's been good mm. seven you know, I retired in 2010. Somalia was 28 years ago. A lot mm. more has happened in between Somalia now, but that's the big one. Um, mm. But some of the things I think about are, are is a lot of my Iraq time when I was in charge of other people and the fear, just the fear of losing. I didn't lose anybody under me. You know, some, some people were injured under me. I didn't lose anyone directly under me um, at a level to where they were directly under me. Yeah. That's and a so blessing. I, I sit yeah, back in that, for sure. but I but I know the stress and anxiety of being in charge of people that go on target, you know, because of you. And and if they die, it's because you wanted them to go there, you know. And and uh, luckily that never happened to me. But that took a bigger toll on me than being a young stud with no mind of my own, running around breaking things and shooting people and trying to stay alive. You know, the adult version of me in Iraq doing the same thing with kids underneath me running around wanting mm. to break things, shoot people. I'm like, Hey, no, no, no. You know, it's, that was, that was, that took a, a different, but deeper toll on me, you know? Yeah. And but, you were, so I was just going to say you were that kid in Mogadishu, right? Yeah. Cause that was, you were, you were pretty junior at that point in time. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything, man. It's like, what is this? I don't know. It looks expensive. I'll break it. You know, that's what I do. I'll break that. So nobody can use it. You know, if we don't keep it, I'll break it. But, Mm. I was the first guy in the door, man. I, I wanted to go do it. You know, let me go. I'm the breacher. Yeah, okay. Now I'm the last guy in the door. But, you know, I always wanted to be the number one man. You even had your team leader pull you back. <laughs> uh, I, my first hit in Somalia, I cleared like oh my half God. a house by myself. And my team would catch me, run up behind me. Because I was, and I was wrong, man. I was jacked up, ready to go. I'd go in a room and look left, right real quick and then go and keep going. I'm like, I was just gone. 
And he finally caught me. He's like, man, your tactics are fucked up, but I'll give you an A for an effort. You know? <laughs> Slow it down. I'm like, all right. I didn't think about it until then, you know? And then, and then after that, it's like, do your job, let others do their job. And it flows nice and smooth and nobody gets shot in the back. You know, it's, it's mm. a, an excitable, little excitable little guy. But yeah, I was the number one stallion. And then growing up and going through all those positions and then you're in charge of these people is like, Oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. no. but, but I mean, I, I find, I find it interesting that you made the point when you're talking about reflecting on Mogadishu that it was, you know, uh, it made that night easy was to let go of life basically. And, and that was the beginning, arguably, of your career in Delta. And and now reflecting on seeing the other young guys who are experiencing the same adrenaline rush, the same adrenaline pump, the burst of energy that you experienced. How did that shape your leadership? Or how did Mogadishu and that realization of, you know, letting go of life shape your leadership style going forward? I, I was lucky in that I got in Delta Young. And so I'm surrounded by people who just do their job. You know, you don't have to deal with problems in the unit. Um, they handle themselves. You're not in charge of privates or E3s or E4s. You know, you got the NCOs that have been in for several years already um, and want to be there and fought to be there and went to a selection to be there. And, oh, by the way, the shrinks make sure you're just as weird as the rest of the guys in the building. And, <laughs> And so leading them, you're not leading people, you're, you're guiding them. And I, I, I learned from that that I would rather have stallions that I have to yank back and steer and fight them than to have mules I got to whip to get them to go. And I'm like, that's what I want. I want stallions. I don't want to curtail their, their ability to go. I want them to run and make mistakes. And then, okay, let's go from there because you're still running. Mm. You know, you're still running and you're going the right direction. And, and there's professionals to your left and right to help you not go too far off track, you know, but. But when it does go bad, and like in the unit or in special operations units, it can go very, very bad because now you're out there on that razor's edge making amazing things happen and everybody loves it. Yay, until you fall off that razor's edge. And they're like, you screwed that up, you idiot. Now you're persecuted for life because you failed a mission in a no-fail world, which doesn't exist. But yeah, it's, uh, it's very tough. Is that what it is? It's a no-fail world? Yeah. Right. No fail missions, man. I'm like, <laughs> I laugh now. Right. People come like they wanted to work for us. We've had several people come to work for us. and They're trying to impress us with their, with their talk and speak. And, you know, this is a no fail mission saving lives. And I go, this is like there are not any no fail missions in the planet. There's nothing anyone does that they don't fail at. Nothing. If, if you fail and stop, that's where you end up. You've you failed. But when you fail and get up and keep going, you fail and keep up, then you finally eventually win. So you never fail. You know, that's a no fail mission. A bunch of failures that never ended. Mm, yeah. What was it about that, uh, the organization that kept you coming back, Jen? How did you connect with these stories and these? I mean, because as a, as a civilian with no military background, I'd imagine seeing this and this type of attitude of, you know, no fail and so on. Um, how was that for you? It was completely um odd it was intense it was i felt like i literally had my world just flipped upside down because so much of the preconceived notions i had about military that i had about 
you know, politics and, and all of the things that kind of go into, into war, I had totally wrong yet. I was a civilian and thought I knew everything and had it all right. So, um, you know, when I, when I started to learn and open my eyes and my ears and my heart to what was happening, um, I found some of the funniest people I've ever met, some of the most educated, some of the most intense, some of the sweetest people I've ever met. I, I think the misconception that it's this person is so wrong. It's a bunch of individuals who have come together collectively, but they're individuals. And so I, I really got to love um, these men and women and, and truly appreciate how incredibly difficult this job is how difficult this lifestyle is and and truly the toll that it takes is complete and utter sacrifice mm. and it doesn't really look like the civilian perspective i myself after being in it for just a little while found myself just like the other guys wanting to go back i i would literally be home for 2 weeks and i'm like okay when's the next one when are we going what are we doing and that kind of draw that adrenaline that we're all in this suck together became really, um, I don't know the right word for it. It was just, it was a draw and totally different than anything I thought. No, we designed for that, right? Yeah. We designed for that sense of belonging, right? I mean, that's, yes. a, we're, we're wired true. for it. Yeah. That's true. When you're accepted into the tribe and you know it, it feels good. I mean, Jen was part of the team, so much part of the team that when she started helping guys with their marriage troubles, you know, in off hours or downtime or whatnot, they'd all go to Jen, the only girl on target. <laughs> they'd go talk to Jen. And, and, they, and she became the den mother of issues and problems. And she became so part of the tribe that when we had off time, some of the same guys that come to there would come to her for marriage counseling and help would also, you know, hey, you want to be my battle buddy? That chick's hot over there. You want to help me pick her up? She's like, if that's what you think now, would your wife like that? And they're like, Oh yeah, I forgot. You know, you you're not one of the dudes. You're actually someone. <laughs> Never mind. You know, it was that, it was that um, entrenched into the tribe that they trusted her that much. To be the wingman. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is, uh, that's, that's the ultimate. Right. Be my wingman. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's um, uh, and I guess that would have really opened your eyes to the troubles uh, that are also brewing below the surface. So I really make I really like the point that you also became maybe even addicted to the adrenaline, to the rush, to the going back. Um, and I guess that's one of the that's what we are now learning uh, is really what's contributing to trauma of many of our veterans. When did it all? I mean, for you, it started in Mogadishu, Tom. When did you realize? Hold on a minute. Uh, something is not right in my life. When did I realize it? Well, okay, looking back, I could change the date. But if you want the answer from then, when did I finally admit it would be my wedding night to this woman here? Um, my fourth marriage, and I, and, I, and I screwed it up on my wedding night to where she's going to – she's got the document from the preacher from the beach that we have mm. to turn into – you know, the, court system, the courthouse. Yeah. yeah. So they can yeah, stand yeah. it. Now we're married. Yes. Right? Now we're married by the government. Nobody cares about what the chaplain thinks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The government stands. So <laughs> yeah. She's got the paperwork in her hands. Yeah. Saturday morning. I woke up 
I'm on the floor with or I don't know where I woke up and there's a broken makeup case. She's sitting on the side of the bed and she's not happy. And I'm like, that didn't go well, did it? Um, and it was a bad, it was a bad night. And it was, uh, she's holding the paper and she's like, listen, I don't have to turn this in on Monday. This is not what I signed up for. And that was the day that I, I took, I began to take action. Not when I tried to kill myself, not when I was getting drunk, not when I got a DUI. You know, that was me. It's all me. I didn't care about me. It was when I, I, I remember thinking my fourth marriage. And I thought, man, I'm the only dude that's always there. I'm the only guy. I'm the common denominator, you know? Mm. And it kind of clicked real quick. And I thought, shit. Now, Monday, I went and uh, scheduled uh, anger anger management. <laughs> like one thing, one thing at a time. Let's just do this. Instead of, yeah, yeah, we'll go get help. Or we don't need help. You know, we're fine. Uh, okay, I'll go Monday because I want to stay married to you. Um, and the fact that she stuck around says a lot because I don't know if I would have. I'd have been like, all right, later. You're on mom. It's mom after she read the book. A lot of details. Um you know, we keep from family and of course, I think that's, that's pretty normal, but she's, she came up to me at Christmas after Tom's book. And she said, Oh, thank you so much. You know, I really reading Tom's story. And I said, yeah, she's like, I would have left his ass. I've got to tell you, like, <laughs> I, 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 I Everybody stayed, you know, and I said, no, I, I understand. But I, I truly do believe that working where I worked for those couple of years helped me gain some perspective that I knew this wasn't Tom, um, so to speak, his, his call signs crawler. And I knew crawler was capable of great acts of violence and aggression and um, that it was seeping through, especially when alcohol was involved, you know? And, and so I knew I just had this, like he said, I knew I was going to die that night. And I said, no, you didn't know that because you didn't die. And he said, no, I, that night in every ounce of my being, I was dead. And, and I almost died and, and, and resigned myself that night um, to that. And so I think some parts of that, I, I knew and understood and that this Indiana boy that, 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 I saw the other side of him where he was very charming and funny and had a huge heart and no one had to ask Tom for help. He just was always in there going to friend's house, laying tile floors. I mean, just doing anything and everything for anyone else that I knew that this dark side of him wasn't the complete story. It wasn't the full picture. It was just a piece of it. And I truly believed we could get to the other side of it, even though it seemed really big. Yeah, that's really powerful. I mean, I think that's a, and therein lies a really important lesson, I think, that we don't give enough credit to. And that's the spouses or partners or those living with veterans. They have a completely different trauma, story, pain to deal with. Because, hey, it would have been so much easier for, you know, I'm not doing this, you know, not doing this. Um, and many do. And must that must be also respected. Uh, but yes. those, those that's because it's it is a it is you know we we have a saying you know well, well militaries around the world it's not just you know the service person that serves it's the family that serves right what's your thoughts on that Jen because you've seen Tom while he was still in and then of course helped him in his uh, in his transition as well into the civilian world uh, what's your thoughts on on that idea that it's the family that serves so I. 
a hundred percent absolutely agree that the sacrifices made are, are made by everyone in the household. In fact, we know statistically in, in the United States that secondary PTS, um, the trauma with the spouses and the children has resulted in very high suicide rates as well. The numbers are still a little iffy for us because I see it bounce anywhere from seven to 10% higher in the children, up to 17% higher in children of combat warriors. Wow. Uh, the suicide rate for civilian women, it's double. Uh, uh, um, for the spouse, it's double than the civilian population. So the war is absolutely affecting everyone in the house, whether stories are coming home or not. Cause I know a lot of the guys are like, listen, I don't tell the horror stories. I don't talk about all the bad things I saw. And I said, it doesn't matter. As soon as that rucksack drops at the door, it unfolds and spills everywhere. Um, it, it just, you don't have the luxury of not bringing the war home. And so I, I have met, so I met Tom, he was retired three years when I met him, but he had just gotten back from Jordan. So really, I would say he was really retired for about six months when I met him. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know, I give it to the spouses. I, I never, I never watched, I never dropped him off at the airport and had to think this might be the last time I'll see this man. I never had to wait, you know, at three in the morning, looking at my phone to see if I have a message or have the kids say, dad's not going to be here for Christmas or birthdays, or he's going to miss this, this or that. Um, even my heart feels so heavy just telling those stories because, you know, in the last few years of meeting some of the most incredibly strong, brave, and resilient, they hate that word, by the way, <laughs> spouses, um, has been so inspirational to me. Um, even Carmen Gordon, who's Gary Gordon's uh, widow, has been somebody that I look up to. Remar- I mean, she's a remarkable human being. And so I've learned so much from the spouses, from these families, from the kids. We'll have kids who are 19, 20, 22, you know, whose parents have fought and and they're calling now because they're in service and their trauma that was totally unhealed from from what might have been happening in the home. They're like, I, I, you know, I haven't even been to combat yet or I, I only, quote unquote, did one mission. I don't know why I'm so messed up. Well, we know that trauma is trauma. So, you know, the military forces in the United States, I think the number was one in four are coming into the military with previous trauma, whatever that trauma may have been. So it's stacked. Our spouses and kids have trauma. It's like one big trauma pool. (laughs) The comparison keeps people from asking for help. It's ridiculous. You know, well, mine wasn't like yours or I didn't, wasn't in the unit you were in, or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. I'm like, you have no idea. Why are we, why are we limit ourselves so much? I, I spend most of my time telling people, stop it. Stop it. I don't care. I don't care what you did or didn't do. Right. Nobody cares what I did or didn't do really. Right. It's how do you feel? And you feel like crap. Sure. I feel like crap. All right. Here's how you get out of feeling like crap. You know, that's what we want to do. Mm. You know, you tell your story to, to heal, but not to compare because that's a thief. Yeah. Cops, my cops do it all the time when they call it. You know, I don't know. I don't, I didn't go to combat. I'm like, no, you live in your combat zone with your family and your enemy is me. Mm. So, yeah, you're probably mm. more screwed up. Mm. They just don't think of things like that. They just compare and consider themselves, you know, like, well, most military and, and law enforcement first responders, they do for others first. Service. Yeah. Never do for the self. So when when Jen wanted to start this up, it was about families equal, oxygen mass first, then you can help other people, you know, and it's. Yeah, it's, it's what most people want. Ninety some percent of, of veterans want help in their relationships. 
at home because well, being at work's easy man that's yeah. what most guys stay at work because coming yes. home sucks sometimes you know to raise kids and you're like i don't know what i'm doing right i know stay oh, at i've work got a the longer. manual for combat i don't have the manual for a three-year-old so what do i yeah. do here i'm like here's a newsflash none of us do it's okay yeah. <laughs> well, we've, i was terrified We've got an eighteen-month-old. I'm, 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 uh, I'm out the door on time. I'm always at work on time, and I, <laughs> yeah, I'm never late. No reason to be at home. Putting extra long. hours. Yeah. <laughs> Biologically, you know, that's it. And and I would tell guys, listen, I have a twenty-two-year-old that won't talk to me much. He, he won't talk to me. I was never home. And when I was home, it was, it was, uh, I was training, so I was never home. Um, and then I'd be on, I'd be on a sat phone in Iraq, yelling at him to listen to his mother. Mm. So. Why would he talk to me? Right. I, so you don't have those relationships because you're always gone. You're always working. And then guys are like, I love my family. I go, yeah, I love my family too, but my actions didn't match my words. And now I don't have those families. Right. I, I have, I have my best ever now. And mm. a nice to, recovery. Trying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trying to reconnect with my son, you know, when he's willing. Um, so I tell people now, yeah, if you can't relate, to your children and you won't because you're older. They like different things. They think they know everything. When they get old enough to know things, they'll know everything and you're stupid. And you know what? Just be there. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they're little, just lay on the floor and let them climb on top of you and be the mountain. That's connection. Mm-hmm. You, you're not going to have a conversation with them. I, I tried. I, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But the more removed you are, right, the more you feel like, I don't want to go over there. I don't want to talk to that little baby. I don't know what to say. I'll just screw it up. Right. So we all stayed away. And now many of my friends have issues with their children and their relationships. So here's one for you, Tom. Is it even possible to do the type of work that you did? And I, and I'm, I'm I was never part of the SF community, but I have a lot of my 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 brothers who I would consider my closest friends, my brothers who are in the special forces community in Australia, um, and many of them are struggling. There's no question whether they know it or not. That's the right. that's that's probably yeah. the bigger challenge, right? To figure they don't out. know. They know it. They just want They're to denying it. it. <laughs> exactly. Right. So is it even possible to do the type of work that you did and these guys do to, and staying healthy, well, mentally? I'm trying to think of families that have well-rounded children that were with me the whole time. Um, <laughs> or even just staying mentally I fit. I think it's like, very difficult. You have to put in a lot of work. And I don't think any of us or most of us put in any of the work. I didn't put any of the work. I, I went to work. I came home. I went to work. You know, it, it, that was it. I didn't do anything to mitigate the in-between. I didn't do anything to, to work on, you know, my anger. I didn't, I didn't do anything to, to work on my anxiety or my, you know, um, being paranoid about things and, and always being on alert. You know, I didn't do anything. Hypervigilance. Yeah. So if you put in the work, and you pay attention to it. Yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about now. We're getting these young soldiers. We talk to them as they come into the SF community. We're talking to them halfway through. We're talking to them as they graduate. Hopefully they take that on and pass it along. Meanwhile, we're talking to all the leaders along the way too to consider putting in work at home because a relationship is a job. And if you don't work at it, it'll you'll fail at it. You know, if you don't flirt, then you get bored with each other and someone else flirts and then that feels good. So that's why people cheat. It's Mm -hmm. you have to put work into whatever you want to end up, you know, good at. I want to have a good relationship. I better put in the work. Yeah. I can be a commando and do that. I can, you know, guys tell me, well, when I'm overseas for my four months or my year or whatever, I don't like to call home because it takes my head out of the game. I go, well, then you're a shitty warrior. Cause if, 
one five minute phone call takes your head out of the game once a week or, or once a day or once a month, whatever, then you're not a very good warrior that you can't recover that fast, you know, or you can't write home or email home. Right. There's so many ways to do it electronically now that it's ridiculous mm. to say that mm. Mm. to exclude the family members for any reason. You know, you don't come home and tell them the gory stories. You go home and tell them I was affected by some horrible things I'd like to talk about or share with you so we can share this experience. You know, you don't have to tell them about the details mm-hmm. because the family always knows. You guys are all in the soup together, though, and it's so hard to see through pea soup like that. It's just thick and it's encouraged amongst each other. I think that was one of the things that was really kind of shocking for me. Like in the first year, I was like, oh, my God, if people heard the way that these guys talk, holy crap. Um, even amongst themselves, it's it's really toxic a lot of times and dangerous almost. I mean, when you look at the at the epidemic of suicide, it, it's deadly. And mm, mm, mm. and so mental health and soldiering should go together. They should be part of the training. It should be worked right into basic all the way through, because honestly, you know, Tom tells a story about um someone that was talking and interrogating a cow in a field, right? Like he, he's talked about this before in Iraq and it's a very stressful situation for him um, due to multiple things that were happening during that mission. And what it came down to, the guy was on Ambien, so much Ambien, he didn't remember that he was on Ambien, Ambien, Ambien. And so, you know, we talk about normalizing alcohol or substance abuse or pills and uppers and downers. Yet it could have cost that entire team. Tom could have lost 40 men that day because of not being a sharp warfighter. So we've allowed kind of this behavior that is making weaker warfighters than mental health, which would actually make stronger, smarter, more competent warfighters. So the narrative needs to flip. If you want to be the best at your job, you better be taking care of your mental health. She'll back back generals in the corner by asking them. So you have two (laughs) men you can take into combat. One of them is refreshed, has no problems at home. He's worked on everything. He's trained like everyone else. And the other one is trained like everyone else, but he's got problems at home. His kid's sick all the time. He doesn't talk to his wife. Which one do you want? Hmm. Which one would you pick to take with you, right? They're both equally trained. They always pick the one without any family problems. Then why don't you help them with their family problems? Because Hmm. it's part of who works for you. Those people work for you. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if um, if if we had all the mental health and all the preparation and everything else, whether whether guys like you, Tom, in your youth, right, these adrenaline junkies running in, you know, the, your team leader had to drag you back, would they actually then be able to do their job to that crazy level, right? Because it requires a little bit of to do what you know, you guys did, you need to be a little bit, quote unquote, crazy, right? Um, you need to be a little bit of a daredevil. So I wonder if, you know, at, at, where's the balance, right? Because ultimately, if we give too much training, and, and I've spoken about this to one of our own SAS uh, team leaders, uh, many years in the SAS about ethics training, because uh, that's obviously a very relevant topic as well. And particularly for Australia at the moment, where some of our um, special forces soldiers are in some some really hot water for some potential uh, war crimes and so on. And I know that uh, your own military has experienced similar claims in the Brits and Canadians and so on. You know, where do we draw the line? Because ultimately we're asking, what we're asking of these warriors to do is crazy, right? And there's a very, we select them on their on, on the very basis that they're going to go and charge situations that 99.9% of the 
world would run away from, right? Are we asking too much? I think the training, I definitely wouldn't want somebody that's crazy working with me with weapons and going behind lines and doing things that I have to count on them for. I, I think the training creates muscle memory. We do it so often. I think the technology of digitized photography versus a bullseye, right, um, to shoot at, removes a lot of that. And they replace thought with muscle memory. I mean, I, I shot targets so many times that I know I was turning corners and threat, kill it, and I'm already moving on, and it's still falling. You know, I, And then I go back and see who I killed because I only look at hands. If you have something in your hand that could hurt me, I'll kill you. That, that's Moral injury comes later because when I've settled down, muscle memory is gone, and I've got the years to think about the lives I've taken. Okay, now I can Monday morning quarterback and talk about, well, maybe I could have thought about this or that. I would rather have somebody that's mentally capable and, and completely sane and not crazy at all, but highly trained and has high ethics because you can do both. You can do both. You can know not to kill somebody. You can know that you're angry. So you're shooting more people than you should have. Right. Because your friend just got killed. That's wrong. Mm. And we all hate to punish the good guys because we're all the good guys, right? Because terrorism, we're going to kill them. But then again, they think we're the bad guys, right? Mm. They mm. think everything we do is wrong. Mm. Right. So I know that we can do what's right and still get the job done. I know it takes its toll. And I know that when you add 200,000 people to a battlefield, that you're going to have some people that don't do what's right. Mm. Mm. The focus is going to be on those who don't do what's right. No one's telling the stories of the good guys and the, we're doing good things. Oh, we bombed a baby hospital. Maybe, maybe we did. Maybe it was a, you know, a, a storage facility for weapons that used to be a baby hospital. It, it's all in the information highway out there and the mitigation of that. But I would much rather have a highly ethical, highly moral person mm. who follows legal, you know, laws that's highly trained. Mm you're still going to have problems, but those problems be less. They might not be the big problems of murder or mm. whatever you want to call it in combat. I mean, I, I'm not judging anybody. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I only have to live with my decisions and I know what I've done in my life. And I know that even the legal ones mess me up. Mm. Right. I, I can't imagine having illegal things that I had done that I'm hiding that, or I, I know is there that would weigh on me even more. You know, I, I have enough to deal with with moral injury of thou shalt not kill all my life. And then I killed so well, I didn't think about it. Mm. I didn't ever give it a thought. I just wanted to live. And then down the road, here it comes. Those memories are always there. And so now you think back, did I, man, I killed so many people. What about all their wives and kids? What about, you know, they're the good people to them too. So yeah, it, it's perspective, right? And we're on the side of the fence. You're sitting on who the good guy is. Yeah. Oh man, there's so many things that you're mentioning there that are just, uh, I mean, my entire podcast, I mean, I, 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 we didn't get a chance to speak about it before, but I'm, I'm a child of the Bosnian War, um, you know, where, you know, atrocities gained a new name. My old man was on the front lines for three and a half years in proper, real trench warfare. Um, right. Suffered, suffers, doesn't want to admit it. He'll probably listen to this, slap me around again, uh, <laughs> which he right. does every time, right? But that's part of it, right? Uh, yeah. But but there are so many things that that you just said now that have that have kind of 
triggered what my podcast is all about. And this is one of, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm actively trying to, to, to help people understand is that we have a tendency to hang out the few bad apples, quote unquote, right? Those few that are just gone rogue and are crazy and, hey, they, they weren't born that, you know, the, the, the circumstances shaped them. War shaped them. War is ugly. Uh, and we don't give that enough credit to, you know, uh, when you don't sleep for 18 hours, you are considered legally drunk, yes. right? But we're going to throw you out of a, yeah, well, you know, but we're going to throw you out of a plane. We're going to give you, we're going to gun you up and we're going to put you into this completely uncertain environment, you know, time and time and time and time and time again, and then uphold you to some rules and norms that are just impossible in that environment to uphold and then throw you out and pin you up as, you know, the rogue or bad one who's gone and done bad things. But those that send our warriors, you know, they do, do so with impunity. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Wash their hands, right? That's why we have cutout men. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, it's exactly right. But looking back on your career and just some of the things you mentioned now about moral injury and the things that come back, I don't know if this is a, I don't know if this is a fair question to ask, if it's a hard question to ask, but but see where it lands. My intention is pure. Was it all worth it? I think about this every time. You think I'd have the answer ready? Um, I think it evolves. <laughs> I, I think it changes. Um, was it all worth it? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> This is where people get mad at you. Um, Trader, I don't know if it was all worth it. I'm happy where I'm at right now. The journey along the way. um, Would I want to change where I'm at right now? No. Would I change the journey? Yeah. I don't want to kill people, man. Um, I never wanted to. I just did my job, right? I just wanted to do my job. My job was to protect America. And then when I was told to go do this, okay, all right, go do that. Okay, all right, that's my job, right? Yeah. And then to see, you know, I'm not the Vietnam bad baby killer, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I didn't, I haven't gone, I haven't seen any of that. People are pretty supportive um, or they don't know about it. I've seen more veterans complaining that civilians don't know we're still at war. And I tell them to get over it because their job is to go to war, not the civilians, right? I don't want people sitting around worried about my, me doing my job every day. I don't go thank the garbage guy when he picks up my trash at three in the morning. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, I shouldn't expect people to thank me for doing my part. Was it all worth it? Not my journey. <laughs> you know, um, would I do it again? Yeah. You know, it's, I did so many good things, you know, so many, so many good things. And yeah, you know what? Yeah, it was worth it because I, I tend to go to the negative. That's probably why my answers changed, but she's brought me into the positive more lately. And, and instead of thinking of, I lost 18 friends in one day or 19 in one day, I, I think about, we saved 300,000 people over time who are no longer being abused by the leader that we ended up getting out of power because of that, you know, or, or I spent some time in Bosnia doing things, chasing bad guys. And did we do, did we help over there? Sure. Was it worth it? Yeah. I think we help people, you know, get their lives back in order. I think you have to stop the bullies at times. I mean, but who's the bully? I don't know who, who the aggressor is. I, who do we help? That's not my job. My job yeah. is to go and do what I'm told when somebody figures out who we're helping. I, I, and then you get blamed for that too, right? You, you get blamed for, oh, you're doing this. Well, 
I'm doing my job. And I'm, it's not a, that's not a way of getting out of something like, well, I'm just doing my job, man. It's like, my job is to do this by our duly elected leaders who, by the way, you voted for. Mm. So don't blame me for who you voted for. If I got to go listen to them, you know, it's, it's a, but yeah, I think oh, for the good of humanity, America, the Western world, those of us who pretty much agree on, on kindness and humanity. And, and by the way, don't mess with other people for no reason. Yeah. Um, I think it was all worth it because of the lives we ended up saving that I'll never know about. I'll never know about the hundred thousand, three hundred thousand some minds that didn't starve because we went there. Right. My mind is on the 18 friends of mine. And I'm like, no, it wasn't worth it. OK, give me another minute. Yeah, it was worth it because we helped a lot of people. I don't even know. Man, you're 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 awesome. You, you are you are a um uh, a living documentary, right? And and yeah, and I was just about to say, and Jan is the 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 the, the producer, right? But why <laughs> I say that? Why I say that is because I could. I'm watching you, and I watched the transition from the dark where you went. Was it all worth it? To the you know, to the protagonist and the rebirth and the no shit, yeah, it was worth it, man. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> but the other one, it's it's it's. Uh, I take my hat off to you for uh, it can't. It, it, it couldn't have been easy, right? I mean, you were a senior soldier in, you know, one of the premier tier one units, right? It couldn't have been easy, and it's probably not easy still now, to show vulnerability as you do, which I take my hat off to you for. I think it's admirable, and, you know, I hope those listening take something from that because I think it's it's very easy for us to just kind of sweep under the carpet what level of soldier you were and to what extent you were op- operational, you know, hundreds of missions, in God knows how many countries, right? That's not something that every person, not, not even every soldier in all of our Western armies can relate to, right? So this is the kind of, you were the you, you were the action figure that most of us dreamed about being, right? And I don't mean to piss in your pocket here. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, and I, and I, um, this is probably, this, it's probably a different life for you. It probably feels like a different life that someone else has lived, right? Uh, because yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of gone, right? But it, to now be able to sit back and, in many ways, give back your lessons uh, with Jan as the, and I'm sure she's the producer. You keep you keep pointing, but I mean, I think your story is uh, is, is so admirable and 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 amazing. Which is perhaps a good pivot, maybe to now go to the positive side, and that's the birth of uh, All Secure. How did that come about? Where did it come from? It really came from going on these RMTs. I. I kept telling Tom, I said, listen, as much as you're breaking my heart, these guys are breaking my heart too. I have a lot of broken heart moments that are happening here. And it just, it really started to become devastating that I was looking at, you know, we'd have a SEAL team. I think probably a few teams, I I got two to three iterations with them over the years before they would deploy and come back and deploy and come back. And I would see guys that on the first iteration that were like 24 And then, you know, at year three, I'm like, they're 27 going on 47. Like, this is beating the shit out of them. And, um, you know, there were a couple in that time also, Tom had lost a few friends to suicide. And that was becoming more and more common as well. And I just thought, who, who's helping on the home front? You know, what, what's, what's being done here? I get that, you know, we're doing this work right now um, to help guys get overseas and and hopefully stay alive, but who's keeping them alive here? When you look at the statistics, they were mind blowing to me. In fact, 
I didn't even believe it. Honestly, I, I thought when I heard 22 a day, I'm like, wait, 22 soldiers kill themselves every day. I'm like, that number is not right. There, there's mm. no way there's over 8,000 deaths a year that like, we don't know about. She was right though. Yeah. And that, uh, that number's wrong. It is. It's probably closer to 38 a day. Um, really. And so when I, when I looked at it, I remember tell, talking to Tom and I said, you know, how many people have been killed? Like how many soldiers have been killed in, in Afghanistan and Iraq? And we looked at the numbers and it was something like 5,700. And then to learn about 35 to 45,000 suicides, I'm like, wait a minute. Same enemy, amount of time. The enemy yeah. isn't even touching you guys. That's right. You know, this has got to be um, handled. This has got to be taken care of. And so I was starting to talk to senior leaders and um, they kept saying, that's not our job. And, you know, Tom and I had a really good talk about it. He said, listen, these commanders, their job is to get these guys Mm, off the floor, to train them. And I said, I agree. And I see that. I I can see how there's no more room in the day to worry about somebody's kid or to worry about somebody's family. I get that. I see that. So let it be us. Let us come in and be the ones to worry about the family and the kids and the warrior. Let's let's step into that responsibility because I I frankly couldn't look away from it once I learned that. And, and I started to love these men as, as family that I couldn't just turn my back. And so I said, I know I want to put the camera down. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to start a nonprofit. And Tom was like, what do we know about nonprofits? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, this is crazy. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we, you've done crazier things, dude. Really? I think what I said is you figured a few things out in your, in your career. That have been difficult. It's funny, I we help people with that every one. day. They're they're they call and they're I don't know what to do. I don't know, dude. I'm like, come on, dude. Tell me you didn't overplan everything in your life in your military career. You don't know what to do. I went through the same thing. I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do? It's just scary. And so you lock up. Your brain freezes up or something. Um, transition is like, you know, yeah. after 25 okay. years of one thing. I've got this down. You're it's your child. identity, right? I mean, you're giving up your, you're yeah. not giving up, but you're transitioning from one identity into another. And that's a, that's a major life's event. Yeah. yeah you don't just walk Why? away and start something else and don't think about it. I mean, there's no. a big transition of, well, I got to start over as a baby, right? A baby, you know, you don't step out into senior leadership of a company. I was in the military. Okay. I'll run your organization. Now they're like, mm. start off right here. You got to be ready to do that. And it drives people crazy. And then they miss the action. Then they miss the camaraderie of like-minded individuals. Now you're working in a pot of people that don't care about this, any one thing together. And, and they're like, I'm miserable. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. I miss, you are too. I miss <laughs> it. I know. Too. I miss it so much. I go, and I tell you guys, and I go, what do you miss? The bad food, the bad pay, the bad hours, the fact that you might get killed today. And if not tomorrow or the next day, was that what you miss? Well, no, you miss the the, the tribe feeling of of a, of a unified service. goal, you know, and mm. so you got to create that again. Honestly, gotta... I think this foundation is what saved his life. It did. I, I mean, maybe not saved his life, but has repurposed him into another warrior, um, just a different battlefield. A I've probably saved more lives now than sure. I've ever saved. Well, not hundreds of thousands. I don't know, but people it's, that. Yes, have... I, I think this role. Yeah. All of that. You know, when I watch you going through your, was it worth it? The, um, like, I want to raise my hand. No, no. I'm thinking, yes, but all of that led to this. 
And that's not for me to say, because it wasn't my journey and it wasn't my pain to go through, but from an outside perspective. And you can't look back at something and then shun it because I volunteered to do everything I did, right? I could have quit it every time and I loved it. And then it was horrible for a bit, but I created all of that, right? If we, if we want to fess up, it didn't do any, the government didn't do anything to me. The bad guys didn't do any, obviously didn't do anything to me much. You know, I let myself down. I didn't go get help along the way to stay sharp. I overdrank. I overmedicated. I chose to blow everyone off and say, I'm fine. I did all that. So when we own up to the fact that she can't help me, you can't help me, nobody can help me. You can show me what to do and point the direction, but I got to go do the work. And if each individual on this planet would realize, man, I'm the only person that's always there when shit goes wrong or when it goes right, you know, or when you're married or divorced, you're the one. Mm. So you're the one that needs to get to work. So yeah, getting to work finally, finally helped me out. But to look back and go, I hated it. I hated the military. I'm like, God, guys, you, you, you rate. We didn't get drafted lately. So you raise your hand. Most people say, I'm going to get out. I hate my boss. Like, all right. Hopefully you'll love all your other bosses because they're mm. just the same. No matter what <laughs> job you're going to do, you're going to have a boss that's going to want you to do your job on time. Mm. Right? <laughs> Funny enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The same no matter where you go, no matter what your job is, other than, you know, your actual job might be crazy, but. A little bit. <laughs> but training mitigates the risk for that, right? Train, 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 train. To me, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. To others, it's like, I'll die if I do that. I'm like, oh, you might, but I'll less of a chance yeah, of dying he's because a, he's I've got done a it. different scale. Let's just not even talk about the concept or the scale. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a little different <laughs> than the rest of ours. <laughs> so I guess that's what, but that's really what you guys are doing now, right? You're training people. Yes. Right. Yes. We call it retraining. Um, People don't like therapy. That's okay. Um, Really everything that we've been taught has been taught by somebody else. So we bring in an expert who has spent decades in trauma recovery, who has spent decades in addiction, um, who has spent decades helping couples reunite. So we've brought the trainer in to um, come and help. And she has done such a phenomenal job. Frankly, we hired her because We saw her for, I don't know, 18 months. We still do. We had an appointment yesterday. I've got mine next week. Um, You guys are awesome, man. Like, Sorry, I have to interrupt you there because just the fact that you're sharing this publicly is amazing. I mean, and I thank you for that because that's this is what we need. We need to normalize this. You know, it's it's just it should be just normal to go and see somebody and have a chat. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think think that's just such a big point. Yeah. We tell it people is. all the time that we actively go to therapy. Um, yep. We actively use the tools with each other all the time. We go to all of our own retreats and sit there and I, I go through them each time with our therapist, even though we're, we're running them. And I learn every day. And I tell people, you didn't know how to shoot your weapon until somebody showed you. You weren't good at it until you practiced it. You, you weren't a marathon runner until you ran and ran and ran. Same with going to the gym. You want big muscles, you go to the gym and you exercise that. Same with your mental health, mm. right? You go learn from somebody else how to be better at this, at how to handle problems. It, the whole thought process of how we've come into he's crazy, you know, mental health, and oh, throw him in a building and lock him up, put him in a straitjacket, mm. has made us think. Don't don't say those words. Yeah, 
the word mental health, you know, okay, how about brain strengthening? Whatever you want to, as we change the names, come in, we'll get some retrain your brain. We'll do some more coaching, you know, don't say counseling because uh, I don't do counseling. Okay. Well, let's go train. Let's go train a little bit on how you speak to your wife. We'll train you on that because we got to break the old habit of screaming. We have had the toughest pipe hitters go through a lot of his former members of his unit as well, who are kicking and screaming the whole way, who now a couple of years later going through the programs, they're completely different too. I mean, it really isn't rocket science. That's what I want people to understand. There is a science behind this biology of trauma. It's an injury. You could get to the other side of it and people are figuring it out. So when you come to people, organizations like ours, and we can name a dozen others who have figured it out, you just have to learn from them and then put those tools into place and then continue to learn. And and like Tom says, it's five steps forward, 10 backwards, 10 forward, two backwards. And I, I like to say like, that's everyone who walks <laughs> this earth is going mm. through that process yeah. of failure, getting back up. You know, we have people come on our retreats. They'll call us a week later. They're like, oh my God, we were doing so good all week. And then we got in a fight on Sunday and we're like, you're married. You're going to fight. Just fight fair. And good here's the you. tools on how yeah. to do it. Remember yeah. how we said have rules for when you fight. Not, you, yeah. You will fight. Not well, if. it's about, well, it's about, it's the same thing, right? It's ethical training. It's, it, it's, you know, it's being ethical in how you have conflict. It's about having rules of engagement. It's about, you know, following, you know, a convention of how, where you're actually seeking a win-win. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it, it's, it's my partner and I, we are, we are, we consider ourselves to be exceptionally lucky in our relationship. We've been together for nine years. We think we, we feel both feel strongly connected and, but we, we see a therapist as, yeah. as a, pre, as a prevention, as opposed to. Yeah. The, the, right. Why nothing, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Nothing's nothing. We're, 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 we're so happy that we're just conscious that, hold on, you know, we want to keep this. So what do we need to, you know, what do we need to invest? And, and, and it's a, and I think it's a admirable, that's a, that's the way we should be looking at. And, and I, I mentioned my dad before. I mean, it, it's taken me, 15 years. I'm, I'm a long-term meditator. It's taken me 15 years to get him onto a 10-minute meditation app because for him, anything was, no, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm I, what, do you think I'm crazy? Is that what you're saying? Yes, you maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right? But it's, take, it's taken so many years to get him yes. to, it, it's meditation. It's just relaxation. Just sit and listen. That, that's all you got to do. <laughs> right? Here's, but, what I, here's what I would tell your dad. When we go to speak engagements, a couple of years ago, we did one. And when I was done, somebody came up to me, some younger people. Um, they're like, will you come talk to our grandpa at our table? Make sure. And I go over there. There are their dads. Here's the grandkids. Here's grandpa. Mm. 98, I think. Fought mm. in the Battle of the Bulge. Huh. We sat there and told stories. And then grandpa ended up crying. I ended up crying. And all the kids were like, we never knew. The grandkids were like, we never knew. Why didn't you say anything? And he promised to go get help. You know, the, when that the week started. And during that time, somebody that fought in Vietnam came over and sat down, started talking, started crying, and he <laughs> chose to go get help, you know, that Monday. And I, from that, I determined your length of suffering is equal to the length of time you wait to go get help. <laughs> you want to suffer for 90 years and then live out your last two happy? Great. You want to suffer 30, you know, 10, 15 years and then live out your last, you know, 50? Great. Or you want to go right now? And start right and and it's all about maintenance the military talks about pmcs preventive maintenance checks and services mm-hmm. don't let your weapons break 
because it's more expensive and, and takes longer to fix it. Plus don't, let your, need them. <laughs> don't let your vehicles <laughs> yeah. break down. Take care of your vehicles so they don't break down. Clean them so they don't break down so you don't have to wait for them longer. Maintain it, right? Hmm. Shocker. Let's do that with yeah. a relationship and our mental health. Yes. I'm not going to go see a shrink until I'm absolutely nutty crazy. <laughs> then it's going to take bottom. 10 times more work to get back versus maintenance, like you're talking about. And you don't get to that point. You don't break. It's it's common sense, but that that stigma we've given it over the years is going to take time to break, right? Like your dad, it's worse with the older generation because it was like, rub dirt on him. I go, that gives you an infection, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a neat break. And that yeah, old invisible yeah. wounds of war crap, it's, yeah, not, it's not even not true, true anymore. Yeah. You can scan your brain and see exactly where it's wrong. I had a doctor like a telling me on the Zoom going, you do this, 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 this. He didn't know me. I've never met him. And I go, oh, my God. And Jen's in the background. Shit. <laughs> yeah. It's not invisible. They can scan your brain and they can fix it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I've just read a book, uh, uh, Why We Snap, and I'll be interviewing Doug Fields in the very near future about that very point, right? It's, a, it's all about, you know, how we – the brain is, 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 a, is a machine. It's a circuit. Uh, and, you know, if certain triggers are hit, you will snap. You will do things that you wouldn't – and, and and autonomously, you won't even have control over what you're doing. And realizing that that the brain does things, if we just step back and actually analyze and, and assess, um, it can actually help not just us, but those around us who are usually the ones paying the price for our quote unquote snapping. Um, just I'm conscious of the time. Uh, and what what does the what does the what do you actually do in uh, all secure because uh, I don't think we actually covered that. Uh, just so, no, so <laughs> my audience actually understands what what the what the All Secure Foundation actually does. We do that a lot. We go around and around. And <laughs> usually we look at each other. People can't see, see us, but we usually look at each other confused. Like I dropped that sentence halfway through, and I have no idea where I'm at. So that, that's probably I've, what happened. Hey, I've loved this conversation for that very reason. That you it know, I've, just goes. I've I've hardly looked at my notes. I probably haven't asked you a whole bunch of questions that I wanted to ask. But hey, <laughs> I've loved it. It's just, this is amazing. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what yeah. we what we do is um, we have three kind of different types of programs that we do. We do one-on-one. So that's either the warrior, the warrior spouse or together can uh, do retraining coaching um, with Stacy Stone. Um, the, so that is kind of the counseling or therapy side. That's our day-to-day, what we do in and out 365 almost. Um, then what we have are supplemental programs. So four to six times a year kind of depends on funding for next year. We have uh, couples retreat workshops. So those are a four day, really intensive. It's Tom, it's me, it's Stacy. Uh, we go to this really great place called Big Cedar Lodge, which is very nature centered. Yeah. And it is um, part fun. There's no PowerPoints, things like that. This is really kind of experiential learning. Mm. It's not group learning. It's not group dynamics. It's straight up. This is for you and your spouse to get away to scratch open some of those wounds. And then here's some tools to start sewing those back together. Um, mm-hmm. So Stacy does a phenomenal job. I really think that the community, the tribe part of that is really special because you've got one pipe hitter breaking down, talking about, you know, one thing, you know, why can't I control my anger at home? And every guy's nodding and every, you know, woman's nodding and the, the spouse is saying something like, you know, why do I feel this way? Or all these years, I thought it was my fault. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells all the time. And then all the women start crying, you know, so there is a community aspect of it. 
but truly what we're there to do is reunite that couple and, and try to make that relationship in four days, just resuscitate it, right? We're not mm. going to be able to save a marriage, but just breathe some air into it. Well, those four days don't, and, and people look at it like, well, that doesn't sound long. Well, we're not going to help you the entire year. We can't take a group the entire year. You need more than a weekend, yes. you know, we get start. you started. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it, it's so intensive that every, every, everyone we run, and I'm always waiting for it to happen. And I tell them when they get here, listen, guys and gals, don't. When we start these sessions and you go off to practice and we come around to talk to you, always there's some guy comes storming up. That's it. I'm out of here. I'm heading back. I'm flying home. You can deal with her. I'm like, <laughs> every time. Oh, or the lady, you know, wife comes over. That's it. He's never going to change. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, go back to your tables and practice exactly what we should. We'll send Stacy over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, always a couple. Yeah, yeah, you know, they wake up the next morning. Uh, we went out that night, and we, he, he drank too many because we don't lock you down. It's mm-hmm. we're gonna see what you do when we give mm-hmm. you the freedoms. And he did too many and go. Yeah, you just you just violated what we said. Set a limit. Set levels. Set rules. Do this, and it would have worked out because it was great up until right. So they get to learn their lessons on their own. Real practical. And we scratch them off. We bring them in the next yeah. day, and we always have people. They're always learning from each other. Yeah. Their stories are all similar. So they learn from each other and they always come up later. And it's like, man, we were on our way to divorce and now we're doing okay. It's like, it's not that hard to get past that unknown of, you know, I just don't know how to talk to you anymore. Right. Mm. You got to start dating again, start talking to know them again. Cause you've been working through that trauma that is so deep and embedded that we tell them, listen, this is a marathon and this is mile one. So mm. we will be with you after this. You'll follow up with Stacy. You'll continue to do work with her. You have our information. You call us. We've got you. We just want you in the fold. And then the third kind of program that we do is Tom and I will go around to different bases around the country. We talk to guys who guys and gals who just signed up, you know, kind of right after special forces. They've just gotten in. So we're kind of this is what can be coming down the road trying to normalize, asking for help, trying to normalize. This is war. Like you said, war sucks. This is what happens when you go to war. Um, We meet with the families in the evenings a lot of times as well. Um, And so really we're trying to get that secondary PTS piece out in Mm -hmm. uh, in the awareness arena too, because I will tell you out of the thousands of people that we have talked to, I always take note. He'll he'll ask who has heard of secondary PTS, and it's always one, maybe two hands out of years of doing this. So we really have a big job of educating that this is a humanitarian issue, that there are women and children and men who are suffering from war. It just doesn't look like the typical media perspective of war-torn families, but we all have war-torn families. Yeah, Yeah. And we give everyone hope. Right. When they leave, they have that big bucket of hope that, man, I don't have to tank this. There is a way to fix it. I can live a better life. Reality hope. You have to do a lot of work. And we do it for law enforcement, first responders as well, too. Yeah. You know what I love about this? It's, you know, speaking to you guys. I mean, firstly, you guys are just an awesome team. I mean, you finish each other's sentences. There's a there's an overlap without being rude. I I don't get the sense that there's a competition, you know, but you you, you kind of jump into this. Uh, But what I love is that, um, you know, what you used to do, Jen, in in the SF world is you had the camera filming their, you know, real life, quote unquote, for the Special Forces soldiers so they can then go back and, you know, look at it and go, 
learn from their lessons without having the ability to escape from it. No, no, no. You said you turned right. No, no, you turned left. So it kind of it seems to me that that's what you're doing now on your retreats. Hey, uh, you know, live your life. You know, we're, you're in the, you know, in the house. We're all in the house together. We're going to observe and watch without any judgment. But hey, we're going to call you up on saying, hey, you, look, you, you drank one too many. You, you know, you can't say you didn't because hey, we've all seen it. Right. I, I, I love that. I love how you how you've connected that. You know, you, you've given everything you guys have done in your lives. And of course, with your experiences, Tom, to give back and to be the again, in a, in a, in a really, you know, in a, in a leadership position, but I think in a much harder one than when it was all easy. Right. As in easy in the sense that you, you had stallions, yeah. easy in the sense that everybody knew what they were doing, easy in the sense that everybody wanted to be there. This is much harder. Right. You got to drag people into this. Maybe one or two final questions in conscious of the time, but uh, so uh, forgive me if I'm taking too okay. much. But uh, but so, so the special forces guys in particular you're dealing with now. So uh, are they mostly out, or are they still in some of them? Or it's both. We we do active and veteran. So right, okay. And what are some of the principal hooks you have found? And this is more the to to for my listeners to be aware of is what are some of the main hooks you found of of encouraging veterans and their families to step outside of the shadow and go and see help? Man, I would just really encourage anyone. I think what we hear most is isolation in it, just feeling very alone in it, that the problems are big, they're their own, they're embarrassing, they're shameful. And when shame becomes involved, it's completely unproductive. There's Mm. no good side of shame and it can destroy you. It can destroy your family. And so you know, what I would encourage people to do is I understand some of this stuff feels shameful and embarrassing to bring to the light, but you have organizations like ours, All Secure, and, and countless others. There's so many who are willing, wanting to pick up the other line, pick up the phone on the other line. There's somebody there for you. And sometimes like even for Tom and I, there, there's a, we'll lay the map out in front of you. We'll even say, here's the compass. Here's a direction you could go. We'll throw out our dirty laundry. Mm. And you know what? I encourage others to do the same. I encourage others to do the exact same thing. It's some of the most powerful things we see is how it's passed forward. So we had a guy on our retreat who said, I went back to Fort Bragg, you know, went out with a buddy of mine. I could tell he was really suffering, real tough guy. And he's like, I just sat there. Of course, they went to a bar. Fine, whatever. That's the, that's the church, right? And so, um, And, you know, he said, I just sat there and I said, listen, what happened in Afghanistan uh, when we lost those two guys, you know, that that's really bothered me. I haven't forgotten about it. It's giving me nightmares. You know, he kind of went through his story and process. And he said, the other guy, he's like, he just started crying. He's like, and this is a guy that's probably the toughest on our team. And he's like, and all I had to do was slide over. He had a therapist local that was really amazing. Here's that phone number. Call this guy. I trust him. He helped me. That permission of I've gone through it. It's okay. And now here's a resource for you to try the same thing or maybe something else. Mm. Um, There's dozens of modalities of healing and it'll feel different to every person, but there's answers, there's hope, and you're not in alone. I promise you there's thousands and thousands who feel the same way. For those that would doubt that, the counter story to that is a Navy SEAL who asked for help to be pulled off of one rotation. He loved rotating. He loved mm. it. But his wife's like, I'm leaving you. 
and I'm taking the kids. And so he asked his command, can I just miss this one? I don't want to, you know, I'm trying to get my kids back. And they're like, well, sure. See ya. Right. Passed him over. He was going to be punished for it. So we ended up getting out. All he ever wanted to be was a steal. All he ever wanted to be was a steal. So he ended up getting out. Two other guys on his team ended up committing suicide after that because probably they didn't ask. They didn't, why would you ask to miss a rotation and get some help when you got pulled off the line for it and lose your job? So shut down two other people who committed suicide. Yeah. So it's so important, like as, as leaders, and Tom will say every single person's a leader. And as a leader, if you're only responsible for money, it costs a lot less to keep a soldier you've already paid for than to get rid of him and bring another one in, right? Yeah. And if I it's not the money, help. you want the training, keep the one you've already had that's training you trust and know him versus getting a new one and you got to figure out, right? Oh, if it's just humanity, then take care of that soldier that you hurt. Mm-hmm. All your excuses are gone. Take care of your people. Yeah. Man, what a what a way to end on. Final question. Uh, how do people find out more about uh, All Secure and how can they support? Um, yeah, so we're at allsecurefoundation.org. That's the website. We're on all the social platforms, or most of them, I should say, as All Secure Foundation. And there's a contact form on our website. It goes directly to Tom and I. So it's not going to go to a volunteer or somebody else. If you want to share something open right out the gate, Tom and I will be the only two reading any contact um, from there, we're going to help you with resources, um, whatever your question or issues might be. So don't hesitate to reach out. We help globally. We actually talk to a lot of people in Australia and New Zealand. So. Yeah, wow. Okay, there you go. I yeah. mean, it's a, 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 in fact, a lot of my listenership is in the U.S., uh, but a big part is actually in the U.K. and, of course, then Australia. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. We like them okay, too. Yeah, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> Tom and Jen, you guys are an absolute power team. I'm uh, very fortunate to have had the chance to speak with you, and thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. It's been a, it's been enlightening. I, uh, I've loved it. Yeah, yeah absolute thanks, pleasure. Man. Had a great time. Certainly have enjoyed this. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Speak soon. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Voices of War. You can access all episodes on www.thevoicesofwar.com or by subscribing wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a review as we'd love to hear what you think. If you'd like to recommend a guest for the show, you can reach me on info at thevoicesofwar.com.